Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi. I'm flying solo today. No Taylor. I think he's dealing with an AC guy and no shark. He was at the gut-wrenching Celtics loss. Honestly, I'm still trying to comprehend it. Still trying to process it. Cannot imagine what it was like in the garden for the shark. He has texted me saying, quote, I am speechless for what it's worth. Credit to the Bucks. They just dominated on the glass. Down 14, 10 minutes to go, and the Celtics couldn't get it done. They played horribly for about six to seven minutes in that fourth quarter, and they still had a chance to win when Giannis missed the second free throw, only for Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart to flub the rebound. Bobby Portis gets it, tosses it up for essentially the game-winning shot. Beside myself, disgusted, shocked, whatever you want to say. I'm just in a terrible mood. However... I'll be in a much better mood here in a couple of minutes because we have a wonderful interview coming up uh, that I'm excited for you guys all to hear with a fellow podcaster, a much more successful podcaster, more renowned and uh, uh, recognized podcaster. And we'll get to him in a little bit. We're brought to you by the Barnburner Podcast Network. I'm sorry. I'm, my brain is just soup right now. I cannot believe the Celtics lost that fucking game. But we are brought to you by the po- Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device it is that you use. Your college hooper of the week this week is Ray McCallum Jr., former guard for Detroit Mercy. His name is going to ring a bell. It should ring a bell. One of the better players uh, to come out of Detroit, played for his father locally at Detroit Mercy, And this might be a little Easter egg for you as it pertains to uh, the interview. No, it's not Ray McCallum, but it is someone that is familiar with Ray McCallum. We're brought to you by Royal Digital Marketing, a.k.a. RDM. RDM specializes in website development and digital marketing for small businesses and startups. So if you need a website, contact them at Colin at RoyalDigital.co. That's C-O-L-I-N at royaldigital.co. Make sure to check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is and make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. 
eight to shoot. Paul, the runner! All right, we are plowing through this college basketball offseason, and at this point, I almost wish it was the NBA offseason for my team. I feel like Matt Damon in The Departed when he's just been found out by Leo and they're in uh, the elevator before Anthony Anderson does his thing. And, of course, uh, Matt Damon basically just says, just shoot me. I mean, that's a bit much. But uh, this is just an epic, epic choke from the Celtics. But... That's not what I want to talk about. I have the rest of tonight. I have all of Thursday to lick my wounds and then somehow, some way, hopefully they can get it done in Milwaukee in game six, force a game seven on Sunday. But the purpose of this episode, huge, awesome interview with Carter Elliott. Okay, Carter Elliott, a former Albion College men's basketball player, one half of the Sleepers podcast, Go listen to that. And host of the Unscripted podcast on the Field of 68 Podcast Network. Carter was tremendous. Uh, so I hope you enjoy this. Very gracious with this time. Here's Carter Elliott. All right. We now welcome to the program former Albion College men's basketball pr- player, one half of the Sleepers podcast, and host of the Unscripted podcast on the Field of 68 Podcast Network. Go check that out. He's doing a lot of great work. We got Carter Elliott in the building. Let me first start by saying real quick, Carter, I loved your rendition. It's your pinned tweet right now. I loved your rendition of like the decision or your play on uh, whatever recruits are choosing a college to attend. They pick up the hat. I love that video, man. It was very well done. Yeah, uh, I, I got to give credit to uh, to Greg on that. He uh, he does a great job with uh, you know all the video stuff and Adobe things, and I just thought it was kind of a cool thing. Everyone everyone's in the transfer portal now, so I, I figured I might as well get in there myself. It's a little fun, a little joke, but it was uh, yeah, it was, it was cool. No, like I said, really well done, and I don't blame you, man. You're right. Everyone's in the transfer portal, and I want to get your thoughts on that here in a little bit. But w- one joke uh, me and my friends have is. <laughs> When people are transferring or when they're going on to the next level, they're going to put out a a statement, right? But I feel like some of those statements have gotten longer and longer. Like you can add them to an English literature curriculum. I mean, we're talking paragraphs here. Have you noticed that too? Oh, yeah. It's 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 kind of honest, honestly really copy and paste. You start off by saying uh, you're so thankful for the university, the coaches, the coaching staff. This has been such a hard decision. Thank God, maybe. Thank your family. And then basically say you're leaving the school after you say you love the school. Like, yes, I love you, but I also want to see what else is out there. So I feel like everything is just copy and paste. And you have a cool little signature at the end and a nice picture. That's right. That's the blueprint right there. And you're right. I mean, they, they mentioned, hey, by the way, I'm taking off, but it's buried under like three paragraphs of, hey, right. I love you. Right. So in that uh, video, in that pinned tweet of yours that I referenced, I got to ask you, man, w- did you really get a microphone and a laptop at ages two and four, respectfully? No, no, no. I, <laughs> I, emb- I embellished that one greatly. <laughs> at, at two and four, you couldn't tell me I wasn't going to the NBA, but obviously didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, but I mean, you're, you're doing 
terrific work in the podcast game. Tell us how you got involved in podcasting and your start, because I'll be honest with you, man, the, the, the podcast you're on right now, theater and college hoops, I got two other co-hosts and the three of us are really just nine to five guys who really enjoy this creative outlet, looking to make it something bigger. How did you get into the podcasting world? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I've always been around, loved sports, played sports all my life, uh, played in high school, played collegiately, uh, Division three at Albion College. Um, obviously, once my playing days were over, uh, once I graduated and I realized I wasn't going to be playing basketball, you know, at the next level at any at any level, uh, I kind of just found myself missing it and just talking about it just with friends normally or people, my former teammates and things like that. But, you know, I, I did the I obviously got into the nine to five after college and I just found myself missing sports. And, you know, the men's league and playing pickup L.A. Fitness wasn't really getting it done for me. I wanted to take it a little further. So, you know, one of my my co-hosts now, Greg, we came up with the idea one day. We're like, let's just let's get mics and let's get a nice webcam and let's, you know, invest in a year membership in Adobe. And let's see what we can do with this. And at first, we were just doing it purely for just, I love talking basketball. I'll talk basketball 24-7 with anybody about anything. That's never an issue for me. So it was just something that after work, we'd hop on, do a quick hour episode on what's going on in college basketball or basketball in general. And then it kind of just took off from there. Very cool. Very cool. I mean, so how, how did you start growing your audience? I think that's what a lot of people are curious about, especially in this industry. How do you now accumulate what you got 2000 followers or something along those lines? Where does it go from? Well, just after work, having a creative outlet to we got a real platform here. Yeah, it's, it's just a for me, it was just finding a way to differentiate myself. Like there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of basketball talk and I just. I, t- I tend to keep it a little more light and a little more fun with kind of how I reference basketball. And then me and Greg kind of found like our own space. Like Greg played like freshman year of high school, but he didn't play throughout high school or college at all. But as far as basketball mindset and the way he looks at the game, it's crazy the knowledge he has. Now it's a little different for me because I played, even though, you know, it was at a, a lower division three level, I still played the game at collegiate level. So I just see the game differently than him. So we kind of use that dynamic to our advantage. And also we just, you know, we keep it fun and light sometimes. Like, you know, that video I put out about me going to transfer portal uh, during the season, we came out with the mid rankings, which is like the average rankings basically in college basketball. So you'd have the AP poll drop and then we would drop like just a fun poll of teams that were average that week. So, you know, just, just coming up with ideas, keeping it fresh, but also, talking it it all comes back to talking about the game of basketball right right and i look i think that's something that we share we like to keep it light keep it keep it jokingly uh and and, you know all these different segments that's funny i really i'll I'll be on the lookout for that next season i didn't catch it uh this season but the mid rankings that's good um so now that you're in the media though carter who are some of the people that you've been able to come across that have stood out to you? I mean, have you been able to cross paths with anyone in the college basketball world? It could be the NBA world, even any other sport. Who, who's really stood out to you? Yeah, uh, honestly, it, it it's kind of crazy how it took off randomly. Uh, one day, I believe it was kind of about three months into me and Greg doing the podcast. And this was back when we were going 
basically be a DM to any players that would come on the pod. And I would, you know, Brad Davidson, Wisconsin basketball player, was kind enough to actually answer our DM and come on our podcast. And Jeff Goodman and Rob Douster, who work over at the field of 68, they saw that episode and they got in contact with us and we kind of stayed in contact. And that's how the unscripted podcast came about. But I mean, I've met so many people in this space. I can't even like begin to to, you know, list it. I mean, it's it's really crazy to me that I was doing, you know, stuff for the field of 68 and I was talking to guys like Bruce Pearl and Tom Izzo and all these guys that I basically idolize and want to fangirl over. And they're like sitting right across me. But I mean, all the guys over at the field of 68 do great work. Uh, other places like Three Man Weave, uh, All Facts Media, Kevin Sweeney from Sports Illustrated, Sean Paul from Field of 68. I mean, the list goes on and on because it's such a, it's like a big space, but it's also a very small space and like everyone knows each other. So it's been kind of cool getting into that space and being able to love, talk to people, introduce myself and things like that. Definitely. And look, I'll tell you what, that's encouraging for me to hear because I shamelessly DM people. I saw that little mail icon on your Twitter bio. I was like, let me get in Carter's DMs, oh, man. Oh, oh, that's how I was. I mean, you won't, if I went back and scrolled what my DMs look like uh, way back when we first started, you see nothing. It'll be nothing but blue checks of me just saying what's up and that I got a podcast. And if you want to come on, please do. Now, what a lot of people may not know about you is that you went to an incredibly prestigious, well-known high school, especially as it pertains to, to basketball. I mean, we hear the likes of Oak Hill. We hear about modern day Detroit Country Day High School, right? So you went there. What was it like walking through those halls at Detroit Country Day, especially being a hooper and understanding what some of the, who some of the players were, that legacy of being a basketball player there? Yeah, it was it was truly a crazy experience just because leading up to that, I've gone to basically just the local public schools leading up to that point. I actually wasn't going to Country Day until about three weeks before school started at Country Day and I got accepted in. And it was kind of a crazy thing for my family and I. But the whole dynamic of Country Day, especially back then, was just it was it was unbelievable. I mean, uh, my let's see, my sophomore year. um the uh we had 13 guys go to division one colleges uh on the on the varsity team i mean i was my whole career i was playing behind amir williams who's one of my really good friends uh mcdonald's all-american uh played at ohio state currently playing overseas um but you know you just you got exposed to like a really good work ethic and like carrying yourself kind of like a, like a professional kind of was and I got to be a guy's like, I always bring up Ray McCallum, who I got to play with as well. Ray's a really good friend of mine. Uh, early on, I knew Ray was going to be special just because he carried himself like he wanted to be the best. He was always in the gym. He always put the right things in his body. You know, anything else I was going on in school, there's parties or anything like that. Like Ray wasn't going to show up. Ray was going to be in the gym. He's going to be doing the right thing. So, I mean, it was a lot of fun. I think through my four years, we lost like four total games, I think. I mean, we we were nationally ranked my junior year. Uh, we got to travel a little bit. I mean, Michigan high school basketball, don't get me started on that, the travel rules and things like that. But, yeah, it was just crazy experience being around such great guys, such, such great coaches. Uh, it was truly 
truly something special. Yeah. And so for context, for our listeners, for our theater goers, you're obviously from Michigan. How, and you mentioned Ray McCallum. He was a really, really fun player. How cool was it to see someone stick around, stay in Detroit, go to college at Detroit Mercy and play for his dad? Yeah, it was really cool. And it was just it's, it was just wild with all that talent coming in. Like we just had coaches walking through the halls and coaches walking through the gym every day. Like I'll be walking to lunch and I'd like randomly see Billy Donovan or Ben Howland, who was at UCLA at the time, I believe, just walking the halls, talking to chopping up with Ray. They'd be at practice. Um, and it's just it's crazy. You know, uh, for those who don't know, Chris Weber graduated from Country Day and also Grant. Um, sorry, not Grant. Shane Battier graduated from uh country day and they came around all the time shane was a really good guy chris came to a lot of games as much as he could have at the time but it's you know it's it's just wild that i played at the same high school as those guys man i swear you have a direct line of sight on my questions here because i did want to ask did any of the former players come back so you mentioned chris you mentioned shane battier what about javelle mcgee yeah so javelle came back a couple of times not as much as the other guys but the good thing about uh, Shane and Chris is that because they had the NBA like circles, NBA plugs, whenever a team would come into town to play the Pistons at the time, this was before they were at LCA. This was when they were at the Palace Auburn Hills. They would have their team shoot around at Country Day. So and all the basketball players got to be able to be at the shoot around. So like I got to go to the heat shoot around the bucks had a shoot. I mean, any team that had a shoot around at the school the day before the game, we could watch their shoot around. And it was the coolest thing ever. That, I don't know what I would do, man. I, like you had mentioned fan fanboying, man. I'd yeah, yeah. try to, I try to keep it cool so that I could come back. Uh, but I was, I, they, they made it very clear that we needed to kind of just stay to the side and not say anything, but it took everything in me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't blame you. There's zero judgment over here. So you mentioned the, I think, 13 D1 players on your team. You mentioned Amir Williams specifically. Did you have to check anyone uh, on the opposing side? Was there anyone that that you can name or anyone that you guys played against that uh, are pretty notable today or maybe notable back then? Oh, man, there was there was a lot, a lot of good players. Um, we always played. Um, we always played a tournament in Indiana. And, you know, Indiana high school basketball, they got some great players. Uh, Brandon Dawson was a really good one, played at Michigan State. Uh, Deshaun Thomas, he went to Ohio State. He was a bucket. He gave us he gave us a lot, a lot of issues. Um, those Pershing teams with Keith Appling, Derek Nix. I mean, we, we played at, at that time. There was a lot of good Division One high school, you know, Division One college basketball players playing in high school at that time. So. I think those guys are the ones that stick out the most. Um, people might not know this name, but there's a name that I'll always remember. His name was Michael Henry. He went to Illinois for two years, and he's the only player to ever dunk on me in in my lifetime. And it was nasty, and I still think about it to this day. <laughs> but besides that, you know, just no, no really NBA guys that come to mind, though. Did you did you ever play Lalu? In Indiana, I know. So we had Pantley Zidius, the former uh, bench guy for DePaul. I don't know if you remember him. He had the crazy hair. He got the goggles. Yeah. Uh, he played at La Lumiere, and I think he played alongside Jaron Jackson. So this, I think, would have been after us. I, just, I think we're both similar ages. Did you ever play against them? No. So that was the one thing we couldn't do. We couldn't play against any of the prep schools because it's against Michigan high school basketball rules. 
I got gotcha. you. Gotcha. Yeah, which 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 was really really unfortunate because, like I said, my junior year when we had Ray Amir, we had Chris Fowler who played Division One basketball. We had Lee Bailey who's top five all time leading scorer in Chaminade basketball history in Hawaii. Like we had a really good team, and we were top five nationally in the country, and we could have played the best of the best. But it's against Michigan high school basketball rules to play uh, those teams, so that kind of sucked. Yeah, yeah, I. I... I feel you talk a little bit about that in between period now uh, between high school and college. Describe your recruiting process and your college process as well. We've had a few players, uh, like we had landed Louis Donix ago, and he talked a little bit about how he got recruited to Kansas and how he ended up there as a player that went to such a high level school. Did you did you aim for D1, D2, or was there a point where you were like, all right, I need to start focusing on D3? And how did recruiting uh, sort of shape that as well. Yeah. So my recruitment was a little more difficult just because, so I also was a football player in high school and I had a couple of division two football offers. Um, so I was kind of mulling those over and I was like, uh, I don't know if I really want to play football at the next level. My mother didn't want me to play football because she just sees all the you know concussions and things like that. Um, so I was kind of mulling between going to maybe like a Grand Valley and playing football or maybe going to Grand Valley for football, maybe walking on for basketball. And then late in my recruiting process, my coach, who was my assistant coach, Rick Palmer in high school, uh, he he went to Albion College and he mentioned to me, he's like, look, I think you would really like it. It's a small school. You should go give it out. Good basketball team. And he's like, you should go check it out. And I went on a visit and I loved it there. It was really good time. Small school. Uh, you know, I liked guys, my teammates who were there, too. So it was it was a pretty easy decision for me. It's like two hours from my hometown. So my parents, my family could all come watch me play. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was basically between football and basketball for me. And I went with basketball because that was my first love. Yeah, I think there's a lot of crossover, especially with with players between football and basketball. You hear about Allen Iverson, you hear about LeBron, obviously. So there's definitely that crossover there. All right, so I want to get your thoughts now on the current state of college basketball. Let me preface this by saying, Carter, and and, and give me your opinion on this. I think college basketball can be some of the most sanctimonious, like pearl clutching stuff out of all major sports. And when mm. I say, I mean, there's four major sports that a lot of people will go to, but the major sports that we all watch, I just feel like the way it's covered sometimes and, and the news that breaks, we're just like, Oh my God, this is going to shatter the bedrock of college basketball. When in reality, if you give it time, we're all on the, like nothing really has changed. So one of those driving factors, one of those pearl clutching factors is the NIL. Okay. And that's a very hot topic right now. Give me your general thoughts on the NIL. Good, bad. What do you think the future holds? Uh, do you think there should be some regulations? I'll leave the floor to you. Yeah, uh, I'm. I think I might be in rare company when I say this, but I absolutely love NIL and what it's done for college basketball because this is how I see it. One, I've always been an advocate even before this. Like the NCAA pisses me off more than anything as an organization. It's like. They have a decision. You can see it. They're looking at it. They're like, here's the wrong decision. Here's the right decision. They're looking right at it. And they're like, all right, let me do the wrong thing. Like, it's it just, it really annoys me. I point to like the Oklahoma State thing where they banned them from the tournament. 
um, with a bunch of guys who weren't even part of the scandals. And it was very late in the process and things like the NCAA just irks me as a whole. So, you know, I'm all for player empowerment. I'm all for NIL. You know, these players are bringing in crazy amounts of money to these universities. Like that's a that's a well-known fact. So if if there's someone who wants to pay them to be themselves, represent, represent, represent themselves as a brand, I'm all for more power to the player. I think it's great. I think for college basketball in general, even though it might need some regulations, I think we're going to see – like this year, we're going to get some really good players in college basketball because they could make more in NIL than they could make, let's say, getting drafted in the second round of the NBA or on a two-way deal. So you have like an Oscar Sheway coming back. You got a Hunter Dickinson coming back. I think there's going to be a lot more players like that that are going to come back to college basketball. So I think it's, you know, I, I think it's really good for the game. And on a on an entertainment level, like to me, it's just been fun watching it this summer. It's like a drama unfolding, like watching these players get these deals and do all these endorsements and see where they're going to go in the transfer portal. So I, I, I'm all for it, to be honest. I'll tell you what, man, when you started off by saying I might be in the minority, because like I said, we're pretty similar age. I thought you were going to zig when I thought you were going to zig there. I thought you were going to be like, you know what? I actually don't like it. And then I was oh, like, no, Oh shit. No, <laughs> no I love that. I love it. I do too. And so I think a lot of people would, would the fear is, is that, we're going to we're going to be void of any real competition or it's going to be way too top heavy and what i try and tell them especially in college basketball is when you get to the tournament how many times have we seen these big named schools lose to the little guy do i need to bring up kentucky versus st peters purdue versus st peters any of these guys right so i don't necessarily buy into well the balance of power is going to be way too top heavy. Do you see a sort of competition aspect that could be a negative for college basketball or am I wrong there? You know, I, I guess I could kind of see it that way, but at the end of the day, I think the schools are going to, like those schools are going to get the talent. You know what I'm saying? Like the top name schools are going to get their guy and there, cause you know, there still can be upsets in the tournament and things like that. And I, I just think that everyone thinks that every single guy at a lower level is going to leave for a higher level. And it's not really, that's not the case. One guys can't play. Some guys can't play at a high major level and they'll figure that out one way or another. There's a huge difference. That's why you really rarely, rarely, rarely see guys transfer up and have the same impact that they had at the school they're at. It's a very rare case. I can't even think of a player off the top of my head. I'm sure I could if I went deeper into it, but it's a very rare case. So I still think you're going to have like the St. Peter's and teams like that. Um, but, you know, all in all, I, I think the college basketball landscape won't be changed too much. Uh, it, it'll still be good, good product, good basketball, not too, not too top heavy. Yeah. And I'm totally in agreement with you. I remember I'm old enough to remember, man, two years ago when a lot of people were fearful that some of these great high school players, because they weren't getting paid immediately after high school in a collegiate setting, we were like, damn, we're losing all this talent to the G League. Right now, a guy like Jonathan Kaminga, I would have loved to see him in college. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, do you think now that there's a lot more that goes into the decision-making process for these seniors, these juniors in high school? Because you had mentioned that financial aspect of, hey, these guys are probably going to make more in NIL than, and you would mention like second round of the NBA draft. But 
sometimes that's not for everyone right out of high school. I'm talking like G league. I'm talking right. Europe. I mean, do you think there's a lot more with, because of NIL, there's a lot more that goes into a decision-making process for a young teenager. Right now, now the allure of it is that you can go to school and make money off your name, image and likeness, especially in today's day and age, like these kids profiles in high school, like they got like 500,000 followers on Instagram and they have all these, you know, just they have all these possibilities that they can have. And I think it's, you know, more power to them for having that platform. But the fact of the matter is it they, they should be able to if they have a brand and a name and a kind of social standing like that, they should be able to benefit from that. And now that they can benefit benefit from it by going to college, I think you'll get a lot more guys in college because before, I mean, you know, yeah, we love college basketball. Yeah, we want to win. Everyone says they want to go to the Final Four and win a championship. But also, ain't nobody trying to go to go to school and play for free. Like, come on now. Like, when I, when I can go play somewhere else and get paid. The biggest glaring example in recent memory, and we all remember how electric Zion was at Duke, but not a damn soul on Duke's campus in the Southeast there's very few people in the entire world that could get President Barack Obama to sit down and watch you. And that's what he did. And so you're sitting there saying to yourself, and Zion blew out, blew out his shoe. It could have been a, a colossal injury where he gets zero compensation for all of that that mm-hmm. he brought. So, I mean, it's just the draw of it. Uh, it's, it's, it's all very interesting, and I think it is good for the sport. It's good for the players, and I think – that's the issue that a lot of people are taking with maybe the quote unquote old guard, the purity aspect of, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why are these players now getting what a lot of people deem that they deserve? I mean, you were a former player, right? Yeah. That's it's, it's all about the, and nothing's going to stay the same forever. Change is going to happen. You have to adapt to it. You have to embrace it. I think, I think that moving forward, the most successful college programs are going to be who's, who's embracing it not who's basically being the old guy pointing at it and saying, I hate that. Like you gotta be, you gotta be able to, even if you do hate it, you, you better embrace it. Like sometimes, sometimes you hate stuff, but you gotta, you gotta do it if you want to be successful. Well, we see some of the most successful coaches in college basketball adapt with the times. I, I think obviously he's no longer there, but coach K, I mean, a lot, a lot of his success was built on the backs of four year guys. And then, he slowly but surely started transitioning to, hey, let me go get these lottery picks, get them for a year, and maybe I can go win. I mean, he won a title with Jalil Okafor, who I believe was a lottery pick, and you know, uh, Tyus Jones as well. He may he may have been 12, 13, but it slowly but surely, uh, you know, he he embraced that, and that was another thing, right? The one and done. That's going to ruin college basketball. NIL is going to ruin college basketball. Here's another topic that I want to get your thoughts on that might ruin college basketball, apparently the transfer portal. Uh, give me your general thoughts on that. Yeah. You know, uh, to me, I, I don't know. This is where I come from just because I'm a player. So I'm, I'm all about player empowerment. I think that players should be able to do what they want. Um, whether you think it's good or not, because I don't know, you know, you could say they're running from competition or they're scared or you can't just change jobs whenever you want. Uh, because you're upset with something, which technically you can do. So I guess that's kind of a fake thing. If you really want to quit your job and go get a new job, that is something you can go embark on, whether the consequences or or whether it's positive or if there's consequences from that action. But it's something you can do. So 
I think that as a player, you should have the ability to say, this is not the right situation for me, or I want to do something else. And that should be fine. Whether as a coach, you like it or do not like it, that's your prerogative. But, you know, I'm all about the players doing what they want. And coaches leave all the time. Coaches will leave at the drop of a hat whenever they want at any time. And that's the, that's the nature of college basketball. So I'm all for the transfer portal. I think it's really cool. Um, I also think it's really cool to see certain players go into new situations. Like for me personally, I'm really excited to watch Baylor Shireman this year at Creighton. I think he's a really good player at South Dakota State. Um, he had likes, he had like the likes of Duke and Kentucky on him. And I think he would have been like the fourth guy on Kentucky or like the fifth guy on a Duke team. But I think he can really show himself on this Creighton team. This Creighton team has talent coming back too. So it's 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 cool to see situations like that and see how teams can form and add pieces to the transfer portal. It's just another another source, another resource that coaches can use to build their team and to be successful. So I'm all for it. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought brought up Shireman there. We're going to get back. I want to get a little bit more thoughts from you on the transfer portal. But Shireman, you know, I was in my group chat the other day because I was seeing all these tweets and he's a very fine player. He's really good. But I was like, am I missing something here? Because a lot of people are saying, look, Creighton's a national title contender for sure with Shireman. And I'm sitting over here and I'm just like, you know, he had a great season at South Dakota State, but Justin Manaya kind of locked him up there in the, in the NCAA tournament game. And it's not fair to paint an entire kid's career off of one game. But is Baylor Shireman enough with that loaded crew? I, I suppose I'm curious to know, should we be focusing more on the Arthur Kalumas and hopefully a healthy Ryan Kalkbrenner coming back and then um, their point guard Nemhard as well? Like, is this just a complete team or does Shireman really, is he the missing piece for Greg McDermott? So I was buying Creighton stock before Shireman committed because of the guys you mentioned. I think Trey Alexander is an NBA level player. Um, I think he played extremely well as freshman year. I think he's going to improve going into the next year. And I think basically the guys you named um, and then adding in a guy like Baylor Shireman, it just elevates it. So like there was a, you know, I really like Creighton's team coming into the year. And there's there's other teams that are like that too. Like Texas Tech is another team I can think of. Um, I thought that McCuller was going to come back and I would have really liked that from them. I think he's going to end up leaving going. Maybe I'm hearing some rumblings about maybe Kansas, uh, maybe Gonzaga, who knows, but um, you know, it's just, it's, I think it's kind of fun to see how these guys, they're able to form teams. So like Texas Tech was able to get Davion Harmon. Uh, they got Fardos from Utah Valley, who's a really good player. So I, I, it's it's kind of cool to see these guys get added to these teams. Uh, I'm a Michigan State basketball fan, and we're not adding anybody, and that upsets me. And uh, I wish we were doing some additions to this transfer portal. We're we not embracing it. We'll be diving into that. Uh, your <laughs> Michigan State fandom for a little bit. You got a Hauser from the from the transfer portal a couple we of years did. ago, right? Yeah, that's yeah, we, we, right? we've had some success. We had, we had Brent Forbes in the past from Cleveland State. He was a really good player for us. So we, we've done a couple of things in the transfer portal, but now that it's cool and everyone's doing it, we don't want to do it. So I hate that. There's a ton of names like you had mentioned in the transfer portal. I feel I, I, I tweeted this. I said, look, I'll be, I'll be honest with you guys. I'll level with you guys. I love college basketball, but my head is spinning. Oh, it's so crazy. I, yeah, I'm just like, give me, give me an hour to look at a comprehensive list of new faces in new or 
old faces and new places, right? Because that's what we got to do. But if you were to break down a percentage, because in my mind, there's a very, there's a, there's a, there's two main reasons, I suppose, why you would transfer one, because maybe you are quote unquote running from the grind. And that's very, that's a very high level sort of thing. But two, uh, why are we not putting more onus on the coaches and the staff of making it a better environment for this player to excel? I want to get your take on what you think the percentage breakdown of players leaving because uh, basically coaches or the, the school's fault versus nah, I don't want to try and compete with this guy. I think it's more so guys leaving from the, they like the situation just isn't bringing out the best in them as a player. Like, they think basically it's greener pastures on the other side. Now, whether it is or isn't, that's, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. once you look back and see if it was a good decision or not. But when the people are making, the, when the players are making this decision at the time, I bet they're thinking to themselves like, yeah, this is cool. I do love it here. This is great. But maybe there's a better situation for me or I'm at a school where I'm not getting as much exposure or we're running an offense or there's somebody else on the team we're running the offense for. Maybe it's not necessarily running from the grind. Maybe it's like you think you can be that guy and here you're not that guy. Or maybe you're this guy that's at a place, but you want to be that guy and play winning basketball and play meaningful basketball games. So I think it more so has to do with like the situation. So whether, you know, system, coach, school, stuff like that, not necessarily running from the grind. Right. And I, I tend to agree with you as well, because look, these are D one level athletes, man. Yeah. I mean, these guys have worked their entire lives to get here. It's not as if they just want to say, uh, I'm taking my ball and going home. Yeah. Like you had mentioned, it probably is like, let me seek out uh, a more favorable situation. I think that's great perspective coming from a former player for sure. So I want to get to this upcoming season here, Carter, mm-hmm. a lot of chatter, a lot of talk. Now we mentioned all the transfers, but these are guys that are coming back to the runner up North Carolina. I'm seeing a lot of chatter about them being considered the favorite. I don't necessarily agree with that. Number one, number two, I'm seeing a lot of comps to them uh, with UCLA coming in as they did last year. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that either. I think those are pretty high level takes. Uh, Should UNC be considered the favorite going in? No, I don't, I don't think they should be considered the favorite just because when I personally look at it, um, you know, uh, I, I put it in this in this context. Um, there's guys that have good NCAA tournament runs that are bad during the year, and that basically just boosts them to a level like in the NBA draft. Like you have a Malachi Richardson at Syracuse who has an unbelievable run for six games. Wasn't really that great during the season and catapults himself into the NBA draft lottery conversation. Didn't necessarily work out there. Um, yes, that run by UNC was amazing. It was a great run. I don't think anyone necessarily saw it coming, but they had a really, really good run. But you can't throw out the fact that they were really bad during the year. Like, that was a very real thing. They were very bad during the year. Um, so it, it's, it, I, they're not my favorite necessarily. I think they're going to be really good, uh, coming back, but you know, it, we have to take into factor that they really weren't that good during the season and they still, and they bring back a lot, but they also lost Brady Manick. Now they're supposedly in the run for Matthew Mayer from Baylor, who I think will be a great addition. Don't know if he's necessarily Manick like, but he, he, he could be better. Who knows? But I don't know. I, I just think that 
taking that run and carrying it over to the following year doesn't necessarily work out like it did with UCLA. Everyone was loving UCLA as national title favorites and to make a run after that run last year. And it, it didn't happen. So I don't like projecting off of a basically like a one month stretch or a couple weeks stretch in March that UNC had. I think they'll be extremely good. They should be in the top 10, but they're not a favorite to me. Right. And that's how exactly how I felt with UCLA coming into this year. I said, look, I have no issues if you say that they're Pac-12 favorites. I have no issues if you rank them top five, top 10 all year, which is kind of where they stuck around. I think yeah. the lowest they dropped was about 15, and that's that's damn good. That's that's really You're a really good team if you can do that. And I think Carolina will be something along those lines. But I'm with you because, I, look, this is one of my worst tweets ever. After they got housed by Pitt, in the Dean Dome, I was like, is Carolina even a, a tournament team? And of course they go ahead, rattle oh, off. Oh, oh, oh no, no. If you go look at my tweets, I was right, I was right <laughs> with you. I had some I had some words after that pit loss. That was oof, I don't even I don't even, I don't even want to go back and look at those tweets, but yeah, they were they were bad news. Look, man, I kept c- trying to control the story because I knew I had that. I knew I had that. So when we saw them in Philly actually for a bachelor party, and so when they kept making that run, when they beat UCLA, I was like, I'm going to have to control this narrative, tweet, quote, tweet it myself and be like, yes, I'm owning this right now. I can't <laughs> believe I can't believe these dudes are going to a final four. But I also think the UCLA comparison's a little lazy because, I mean, you look at the ACC, it's a much tougher conference, in my opinion, than mm-hmm. the Pac-12. So. I think UCLA had a bit more favorable road to the tournament, but next year, man, Duke's gearing up. We saw Miami. Miami's going to be one of those teams in a couple of years where you're like, damn, they really did make the the Elite Eight, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Miami. I mean, you got Virginia Tech who showed life towards the end of the year. I just don't see necessarily that comparison. And like you had mentioned, is it is it just an exercise in futility to try and project, especially in college basketball? Yeah. Like it everyone wants to that, that, that's why they're called projections. Like we're, you have to base it off last year. You have to kind of project on what's going to happen. But if I had to take a bet, I would bet on them fizzling out more so than making a national title run. So that's Carolina. Give us some sleeper teams that you're looking out for next year. You had dropped a little bit of Texas tech. Obviously a lot of people know about Creighton. Now they're, I don't think they're the prohibitive favorites in the big East. Who are some other teams skulking in the weeds that are going to surprise some people? Yeah, I know there was some words, uh, definitely some people on this bandwagon kind of earlier, but I think it's fell, fell off a little bit as the transfer portal come on, uh, has kind of gone along. Uh, I'm still all in on Houston. If they get Marcus Sasser back, uh, they bring Tremont Mark back healthy. Uh, they have the pieces from last year. And Kelvin Sampson needs to be mentioned as one of the top five coaches in college basketball because he truly has something special down there at Houston. So, I really love those. I really love Houston uh, as a kind of a sleeper pick. Creighton was a sleeper pick for me, but they obviously have added so much talent coming in. Uh, I love what uh, Arkansas has over with Must Bus and them. They've had a great transfer portal season and also a great recruiting class coming in. Jordan Walsh, Anthony Black, Nick Smith could possibly be the number one pick in the 2020-23 draft. So they have an extremely talented team. Uh, those are the teams that kind of come to mind. I'm not really sure if I can think of anybody else necessarily right now. But 
if I had to pick one, Houston, I'm all in on Houston finally making that run and getting it done. A lot of people really enjoy certain brands of basketball. For me, I love the knockdown, drag it out, Houston style, man. They are, I mean, it may not, it may not be for everyone. And look, this is coming actually from an Arizona alum who got their asses handed to them in that sweet 16 game. So Houston is just, they're a bunch of dogs, man. Yes, they are. And that's what I was saying before the season. We I actually was on the Houston preview for the field of 68. And we were talking about and this was at the time when everyone was talking about Memphis, They're like Imani Bates, Jalen Duran. I'm like, no, that conference goes to goes through Houston until Houston decides it doesn't go through them. And no matter what they lost, because they lost a lot. They lost Quentin Grimes, Dejan Giroux. They lose a lot of guys. I was like, no, that's with the way Kelvin Sampson plays the game and teaches the game of basketball, he's going to plug and play guys in there. They're going to do one thing. They're going to play extremely hard every single time, and they're going to hit the glass harder than any team in the country. And that's what they do, and it's winning basketball. And I think if they could get a guy – I'm not sure where Marcus Sasser is in the process, but they get him back, they're going to be an extremely dangerous team. And I'm I'm glad you keep bringing up Kelvin Sampson because I totally agree he needs to be mentioned as one of the top five best coaches in the game right now. Real quick before we get to some other coaches, how much of what transpired at Indiana do you think is impacting why people aren't gassing up Kelvin Sampson as they should? Uh, you know, I, I think that's there's always going to be a a, a a contingency of people who basically never forget. Um, and you know, that's, that's, you know, that's their issue, but I, I, I just think that his ability to go to Houston and build that program to the level it's at now and the consistency on a year to year basis, and also his, the, you know, the length of his term there, I think has been admirable. I think there could have been plenty of opportunities for him to go elsewhere. Now I know that Houston's doing very well to compensate him to keep him there, but at the same time, he could he could get a lot of college coaches, job, college coaching jobs in this in in the in today's game. So, you know, I just I admire that and I admire the consistency. It's 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 crazy. Well, and I also admire I mean, you, you sort of alluded to this with his tenure, but building up, rebuilding, really, Houston, yeah. we all remember five slam jamma, but they were a dormant program until Kelvin Sampson got mm-hmm. there. I think there was a story about him literally handing out flyers on campus being like, please come to our games. And now look at them. Final four last year, terrific run this year. So Kelvin Sampson, hats off to you. And speaking of coaches, we talked about some of the more intriguing transfers and some of the teams this offseason, but there's been some coaching uh, transfers as well. Yeah. Thad Mott is at Butler, John Shire supplanting K at Duke, Todd Golden at Florida, the young gun, Mike White stays in the SEC, but he leaves Florida to go to Georgia, Kenny Payne at Louisville and Archie Miller at Rhode Island. Those are some of the names that stick out to me. Uh, what are some of the new places for coaches that stick out to you and feel free to choose from that list also? Yeah, no, um, I, I think Golden is a great one at Florida. I really like that hire. Uh, the one that scares me the most and like scary as in I think he's going to do amazing things is Kenny Payne at Louisville. I think that he's going to really turn that get Louisville back to what it used to be. And it used to I mean, like you, I think you said we're the same. We're around the same age. Like I, I think about like great Louisville teams, great Louisville guards, great Louisville basketball. And they just have not been that the whole scandal thing really put a taint on the program. But I really think they're going to turn that thing around. I think he's doing a great job assembling his staff. I think he's going to get back on the recruiting trail. I know they 
have been extremely uh, going hard and in on DJ Wagner, who's the number one recruit in 2023, Dewan Wagner's son, prolific scorer in high school. So you think really you think uh, he's gonna you think he's gonna spurn Coach Calipari and that relationship? I think, I, I think he might spurn Coach. I think Louis. I think Louisville's gonna make that push. I really do. I'm 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 scared of what Kenny Payne is gonna do uh, do at that school, but. Um, you know, there's been a lot of, I love Jans at Mississippi state as well. He's a, just a great guy. I actually had a chance to, uh, to meet him at the final four and talk to him for a little bit. He's a great guy, a great coach, uh, did some great things at New Mexico state. So, um, you know, I even mentioned Thad Mata and who would have thought that Thad Mata would be active in the transfer portal and making things happen at Butler, but Butler's doing some things and they added some pieces and I've, I've been actually jealous of the pieces that they have added because I would have loved to have one of the pieces for my team. But yeah, I, I think a lot of coaches are going to make some splash waves. Of course, Shaheen Holloway at Seton Hall, I think is going to be able to get it done. I, he's a great guy, great energy. I think we'll be able to recruit tough kids from that area. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of movement in college basketball, but I really honestly am a fan of all the hires. Um, you did mention Mike White to Georgia that, didn't really make sense to me, but you know, I, I hear who am I to judge why you'd want to go to Georgia over Florida, but who knows? So I think the Mike white thing, he may have seen the writing on the wall Yeah, probably. in the sense that look, first of all, that's a very difficult job to take over Billy Donovan. One of the greatest college basketball coaches ever. Really. I'm, I'm okay to say that man has two national titles in a row, but I don't necessarily know if he was reaching Gator basketball level of success. Uh, no real deep, like deep runs in the tournament. He might've made an elite eight one, one year. I forget, but I think he was like, look, let me just go to Georgia where they just won the national title in football. There's going to be zero eyes on me here in basketball. And if I can get this team to the tournament, I should be all right. Yeah. Especially because Georgia basketball has stunk under Tom green. These bad, or was, was it Tom? Was it green or was it? it was yeah. It was green. Yeah. Yeah. So that the team has stunk. So uh yeah there, i guess there's not much expectations there i'm interested to see what golden does uh in the sec at florida because anybody who knows sec recruiting it's like it's cutthroat especially because you're in a league with guys like calipari uh high energy great recruiters like oats and bruce pearl and you know these guys are just like making a lot of noise you know bells and whistles flashy muscleman type coaches and then you have, you know, Todd Golden, who, you know, he's young, kind of more of an analytics kind of guy, pretty boy, looks like he's like, you know, 22 years old. Unbelievable coach, though. Love everything about him. Uh, when I spoke to him down at the Final Four as well, like everything he talks about the game of basketball, I would bet any money that he's going to be successful at Florida um, based off that conversation. But, you know, recruiting the SEC and getting players down there, that's a, that's a, that's a tough, that's a tough go. It absolutely is. I mean, a lot different than San Francisco. That's right. That's right. I mean, you look at even a guy like Rick Barnes who got Kennedy Chandler to come to him. Rick Barnes doesn't, doesn't strike me as a bells and whistles type of guy, but even he's getting top end recruits, right? So you're going to have to compete with a lot of people in the sec. And one of those teams, one of those coaches you've mentioned, we've mentioned uh, the Razorbacks a couple of times now, Eric Musselman's name. Is there real, real pressure on Muss? to hit a final four now at Arkansas because he's been to the elite eight now two straight years. He's knocked off the number one overall seed with Gonzaga, but at the same time, it, it's not Georgia where that is like 
potentially build a statue for you. Arkansas is a legitimate basketball school. Is there serious pressure now on Musselman to break through to that final four, do you think? Yeah, I really think there is because, well, for one, just on the surface level, let me tell you this. As far as like how I rank crazy fan bases and fan bases that I've interacted with, Arkansas basketball fans are on another level of absolutely just crazy. Like whatever word you want to use, passionate, sometimes maybe even a little delusional, like all fans are. But God, when it comes to Arkansas basketball, they are absolutely nuts and they love themselves some Eric Musselman and they love Arkansas basketball. And yet you, you know, you mentioned it. They've been to the, you know, the Elite Eight and they've been, you know, beating, they beat the number one seed in Gonzaga, but now with all that comes hype. And then with the hype, you have the recruits that he has coming in. This number one recruiting, his top three recruiting class, I believe it is, uh, with a couple, like three McDonald's All-Americans. So, you know, and then you add players from the transfer portal. So all that pressure is building up. And Elite Eights with that type of talent aren't going to get it done. You know, you got to get over that hump and make that Final Four. And, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of bounces to go your way, I'd say. Um you know, but you got to make that final four, you know, every good, co- every good, the great coach eventually makes that final four. I always reference Matt Painter at Purdue. I think Matt Painter is one of the best college basketball coaches. I re- I truly believe that, but he just can't make a final four. Like he just has not done it this year. Thought it might be the year, but he cannot, he just has not made that elusive final four. Um, so combine the talent, combine the coaching with Musk, combine the fan base and how they view those Arkansas Razorbacks, he definitely better be making a final four soon or some questions are going to be asked. No, I'm, I'm with you in that boat and just the, the optics of it, right? It's all fun and games. It's all terrific when he's taking his shirt off at Nevada oh, yeah. and taking his shirt off when he's beating Kentucky, right? In the regular season, but you're, you're the top dog. Now they, they're probably going to be ranked number one going oh, yeah. into the season. Right. So everyone's going after muscle and it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle that pressure. I'm looking forward to it, but they're also one of those schools where college basketball is better when they're good and Bud Mm -hmm. Walton's rocking. And it's the same thing with Louisville. So hopefully those two teams can really make a push sticking with the coaching Jay Wright retired. I think amidst all of the transfer dues, amidst all of the NIL, this was the bombshell of the off season. I don't know if we'll top it. How shocked were you? Uh, so um, part of being kind of interconnected now with uh, like with these college basketball people is I heard some rumblings about it at the final four. And I was like, no, like Jay Wright is he's going over. He's not going anywhere. It's just it was a silly rumor. Like someone just mentioned it. It probably just spread or something like that. But then when it actually happened, I was like, oh, shit, like Jay, like Jay Wright is going over basketball. Like Jay Wright. Mr. Handsome in the nice suits on the sideline. Like this is, he is Villanova. Like he's one of the greatest coaches in college basketball. And now he's gone. It was just, it was an absolute shock to me. Um, I truly don't think it was because of the transfer portal and NIL. I don't think it was. I truly just think like Jay Wright was like, I've, I've won the championships. I've coached for a long time. People actually don't want to just coach year round and do that type of thing. Some, you know, you're you're well off. Maybe you just want to spend time with family and grandkids and things like that. You can't blame a man for that. He's 60. You know, not everyone has to coach into their 70s and, you know, late 70s. Some people just want to, you know, just be out of that coaching world. So it's crazy to me that he's not going to be on the sidelines for Villanova, though. Like, it is, I, it's going to be weird. 
it is going to be, I mean, we are taking shots to the body as, as college basketball lovers, when there's no Roy Williams this year at Carolina, there's not going to be coach K in Durham and there's not going to be uh, Jay Wright at Nova, but Thad Mott is somehow back. I mean, I'm just like, it's just, a, it's, it's a lot to digest and comprehend right now, but uh, yeah, I mean, Landon Lucas, I asked him the same thing a couple of weeks ago and he was like, look, when as a player, there's going to be a point, And as a coach, there's going to be a point where you're not 110% in you're at 70%. And that's when you sort of walk away and look, what else does Jay Wright have to accomplish? Really? Multiple oh, yeah. final fours, multiple titles. Oh yeah. He's good. Yeah. Uh, so let's get back to your Michigan roots for here real quick. How does one draw the line between being a Spartan fan and a Wolverine fan? How, do, how did you become that? How did some of your colleagues become Wolverine fans? Where does that happen in your youth? Yeah, so back in, just goes back to probably end of middle school, probably in middle school time-ish. Um, so I didn't like, I didn't have any parent. My parents didn't go to Michigan or Michigan State. So I didn't have like that instilled with me from like birth or anything like that. But for me at that time, it was, this is, this is, this is just straight up exactly how I thought about it. Uh, I thought Michigan and Michigan University was just soft. I thought they were uppity. I thought they were entitled. I thought they were soft. I was all for the Spartan, the Spartan dog mentality, like getting after it, talking shit. Like that was what I like loved and I idolized. And I loved the jerseys and Kalen Lucas and Draymond Green and Derek Nix and all these guys. I just loved Darrell Summers. I uh, just love watching them play. And I just didn't really get that feeling with the Michigan guys. And, you know, that just kind of carried out from that moment. I had a couple of friends that played at Michigan State as well, which kind of helped. So that was kind of the line that was drawn at that point. Now, do I have a hatred for the University of Michigan? No. Do I want to see them be happy? Absolutely not. But, like, I wouldn't say it's a hatred type thing. It might be for Michigan football. That actually might be a hatred thing. And I don't like using the hate word. But besides that, it's, you know, it's a, it's a fun rivalry. Like you want to be the best team in the state. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and it's always interesting with people from time college athletics where there is a huge rivalry within the state to get their perspective on that. Like how, I mean, Kentucky, Louisville, that's the exact, it's pretty similar. I mean, there's a lot goes into that. Hey, do me a favor, assemble your all-time starting five for Spartans. Ooh. Both. Okay. Ooh, man. Okay. So I'm going to go small in the backcourt. I'm going Cassius Winston and Kalen Lucas. Uh, All right. And this is going to be favorite too. So it might not be the best players necessarily, but give me Darrell Summers at the three. Cause I love Darrell Summers. Give me Miles Bridges at the four. And then give me, you know what? I'll go super small ball. Give me Draymond Green at the five. So I don't want to blast you just yet because I want to get your explanation here in a second. Did you think I said all, all time starting five, like when you started watching them? Oh, no. So I got, I, you know, so does magic, me. does magic not get on this starting five? Cassius, Cassius Winston holds a very special place in my heart. He will always be in my starting five, no matter what, over the likes of Magic, over the likes of those guys. I mean, he has to hold, like, the most special play. I see a ring on your finger. I think I think Cassius might be 
uh, ahead of your 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 uh, significant oh, other. She she knows she knows the special place that Cassius Winston holds in my heart. And but I, I also like I didn't I didn't I didn't watch Magic. Like I know Magic is great, but those those are the list is from guys that I saw play. I got you. I got you. I, I'm sorry. I just had to check it because I would be getting texts from our listeners being like, yo, you didn't even ask him about magic. So I'm glad we at least got hey, that explanation. You know, if, you, if you do put like my Twitter name or anything on this episode, anyone can come holler at me. I will argue with you till I am blue in the face that Cassius Winston is the best point guard to ever come through Michigan State University. And that includes... Magic Johnson and Mateen Cleaves. I will argue that to the death of me. I love that. At Carter Elliott, two underscores, right? Yep, two underscores. All right. At Carter Elliott, underscore, <laughs> underscore. Tweet at him. And of course, we'll be we'll be tagging you in this episode. Uh here's a question that we had earlier in the season. Actually, not earlier in the season, excuse me. Uh after St. Peter's beat Kentucky. Mm. My buddy was asking, like, hey, is that the greatest upset of all time? And I was like, first of all, no, it's I still think it's uh, Virginia losing to uh, UMBC. Mm-hmm. But here's what I likened it to. I said it was kind of like Michigan State losing to Middle Tennessee. I'm sorry to bring it down here. What was a bigger upset in your eyes? You can't argue 16 over one. It's never happened. So UMBC beating Virginia was the great, like the greatest upset of all time. But if you combine like the greatest upset with also making a run in the tournament, I think St. Peter's is the greatest run in NCAA tournament history because they beat Kentucky, they beat Murray State, and then they come out and beat Purdue as well when everyone thought they were going to get killed by Purdue. So I think that run in general is just probably the greatest run of all time. And then obviously people saw the stories about St. Peter's and like their campus and their school and all that, and it just makes the – it makes the story even greater. And the Shaheen Holloway is a guy you can get behind. But to me, that's the greatest run in NCAA history. I like that. I always think maybe I'm just nostalgic and this is at the height of my love for college basketball, I guess. Oh, for George Mason. I love that run. That was a well. great but, run. I mean, Florida Gold Coast was a great run too. It was. I mean, those were, those guys were the most fun. I mean, yeah. Beating Georgetown. That was, that was a blast. Um, so obviously as a Michigan state super fan and a man from Michigan and someone who calls covers college basketball, we were rocked with the news of Adrian Payne. Any thoughts and your reaction um, to that, that terrible news really? Yeah. I'm, I'm just heartbroken over it. Um, Adrian Payne is one of my favorite Spartans. I truly loved his game. Um, he was a player that had an impact across the campus. Uh, everyone knows the relationship that he had with Lacey uh, the young girl who unfortunately passed away of cancer while he was at his time in college. And he was just a guy who I think everybody loved because he, in, he entailed what a, a Spartan dog was like. He was extremely talented, but he improved year after year after year. And no one thought Adrian Payne could be a lottery pick uh, when he, or be a dra- be an NBA player at all when he showed up on campus and he ended up getting drafted, being a really good player, um, so it's just it's tragic, you know, to see that happen. 31 years old, so young. He has a, a young son as well who's been going through some things. Uh, recently, he stopped playing professional basketball to be with his family. So it's it's just a very sad situation. And it's it's in a sad situation. It was very um, at least a little bit heartwarming to see everyone's kind words about Adrian. 
Um, and also Draymond Green is setting up a fund in his name as well. So that was very good to see. But I think you truly were able to see the impact that Adrian Payne had on the community for Michigan State with, uh, with the outpouring of love and condolences when he you know, tragically passed away. Incredibly well said. I can't do it any better than that. And I think Draymond did it very well as well by saying he beat the odds. The other yeah. night in his in his interview, he said he beat the odds and he rattled off every odd that he beat, an obstacle that people tried putting in his way. And one of those was making it to the NBA, like you had mentioned. Hey, Carter, this has been terrific. I'm going to get you out of here on this, though, all right? This is our very last segment, and I ask every single guest that we have on, it's called Bring Him Up On Stage. Who do you think is someone that you would think uh, would have a good time coming onto the program, exchanging some stories, answering some questions. Who's someone that you think you could refer? Ooh. You know what? I'm going to link you up with my boys over at All Facts Media. Um, there are a pair of twins that played at Coppin State, and they cover basketball. They're from the DMV. And they are hilarious and they know their stuff. So I would love to see the Robinson twins uh, on the show. I think they'd be a great, great get. I love that. Carter, we talked about shamelessly DMing. I'm probably going to do the same thing. Like, hey, how can I get in touch with with the Robinson twins? I'd love to talk to them about Juan Dixon because he was an integral part of my college. Juan Dixon is their guy. He should be. If you want to talk about Juan Dixon, they will definitely talk to you about Juan Dixon. That's I sure. mean, I'll tell you, we got a lot of Hoosier fans that that listen to our program, though, so they might be a little hurt after that, uh, I think, 2 title game uh, where Juan Dixon was amazing. But he was an integral part of why I love college basketball. Carter, you do a wonderful job, man. Again, listen to him on uh, his various podcasts, of course, the Sleepers podcast and the host of the Unscripted podcast on the Field of 68 podcast network at Carter Elliott, two underscores. Thank you so much for your time, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Anytime. All right. We want to thank Carter again for jumping onto the program. Some terrific insight as a former player, some even cooler insight as a member of the media. Now Uh, go give him a follow, go give him a listen on uh, his podcasts. He does terrific work and and he's going to keep you up to speed certainly during this off season. And of course, during the regular season, hopefully we can get the Robinson twins on. I will be sure to, to connect with him. And I want to talk about Juan Dixon. I'm not going to lie, but some of the stories Carter was able to share were really terrific. The people that he's met, especially down in New Orleans, the work that he's done for the field of 68. Uh, he is a rising star in this industry and and hopefully we can uh we can continue to watch him grow and succeed so carter thank you so much for jumping onto the program like i had mentioned i'm gonna go to bed probably thinking about i don't know the celtics uh being in the penalty with eight and a half minutes to go in the fourth and shooting like four free throws from there or the bucks not missing a three or a missed second free throw from Giannis Antetokounmpo to tie the game only for Jalen and Marcus to flub it. Like I had mentioned at the top, you know what, instead of going to bed, I'm actually going to dive into, cause I'm a, I'm in a bad mood. So uh, and the shark hasn't done this in a little bit. So I'm going to go with first four out. I don't have a last four in, but of course you guys know the segment first four out last four in. Uh, but since we're being negative today, first four out blowing 14 point leads. There you go in the fourth quarter with 10 minutes to go. That's one, two dog parks. Okay. And leashes. Now 
this is my actual beef. There's a gate to a middle area of the dog park and then another gate to the actual dog park. So think of it like a lobby. Okay. So you enter, you go into the lobby and then you have to enter another gate to get into the actual dog park. Well, these owners think they're like the greatest owners of all time and have their dogs completely understanding them. So they take the, the, the leash off of the dog in the lobby, open the gate to the actual dog park where there's like 15 dogs. And when their dog doesn't actually go through other dogs get out and they're like, Oh, Oh, come on, come on, come on. Just keep your dog on the fucking leash until you get into the actual dog park and then take the leash off. Infuriating stuff. Very infuriating. Um, car lane passing. I've been having to try, go into work once once a week. Maybe that's why I'm so bitter. But I've been having to go into and commute to work once a week. And what I'm noticing is a lot of people use the breakdown lane as a way to pass when there's traffic. Don't do that. Just terrible. That's another first four out. Uh, and then, honestly, while we're on the topic of overtaking people and, and passing people, pedestrian passing. Now, what I want you to do is the complete opposite. Pedestrian passing. When I'm walking slower, if I have my dog who's sniffing and, and wants to sit for a little bit or whatever, and I purposely give you the left lane or the entire left half of the sidewalk, left two-thirds of the sidewalk to overtake me and you don't, you're like putting pressure on me, man. Right. It's, it, it's, it's like the guy's four feet behind me and I'm telling you, I'm, I'm showing you, I'm walking very slow, please overtake me. And they just won't do it. And it's just uncomfortable for both, for both parties. So that's my first four out blowing 14 point leads with a chance to take control of the series uh, with 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Uh, Owners letting their dogs off of a leash in the lobby area before getting them into the actual dog park. Thus, other dogs getting loose. Car lane passing. Stop passing cars in the breakdown lane. And pedestrian passion, passing. Understand the etiquette of the sidewalk. When you see me slow down or if you see me giving you two-thirds of the sidewalk, please take it and overturn me. All right? No more being negative. I apologize. Let me take a deep breath because our last segment, This Week in Feet, we haven't done this in a while. This Week in Feet, five years ago this week, on the 10th, actually, May 10th, Eric Musselman, who we discussed quite a bit during that interview, Eric Musselman signed a five-year extension with Nevada. Here we are five years later after pen to paper, and he's at Arkansas with two Elite Eights under his belt, probable number one, uh, ranking coming up entering the season and huge expectations in Fayetteville. Pretty crazy. That was just five years ago that Musselman thought he was going to be at Nevada for uh, relatively long term. And here he is now at Arkansas. So this week in Theek. Sorry, Wolfpack fans. We apologize. But that'll do it. We want to thank you for listening. But most importantly, we want to thank Carter Elliott for jumping on and sharing some stories. We will catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.